once came another man. Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young uh, superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely, extremely Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be down in flames. I felt my style. I felt my style and skills. I only do so. From a distance. No, we're live now, so it's it's going. Man, um, so everyone just joining. We just had such a great conversation about how how you were bashing the London in the previous episode. <laughs> I was trying to defend it. Yeah, now in, we're here. So. In my classic style, I, I like uh, I bashed it, even though I, I kind of love it and uh, used to play it a ton. So I want to ask you about this meme that you made because mm-hmm. you you mentioned in the Akash podcast that you made a meme. Did you post it to Reddit or just save it for your own personal use? Um, I'm more of a private memer, so <laughs> I saved it for my. I shared it with like a few friends, and uh, I think they got. I hope they got uh, a few laughs to themselves. But I didn't post. I, maybe I should. Do you think I should share it? I don't know. I mean, memes are meant to be shared on Reddit, and then uh, some small percentage go viral. So yeah, you never know how. Uh, <laughs> Oh, they'll end up. So if you missed the Akash podcast, my meme was basically, you know, it was the guy who uh, sitting at the table with the change my mind sign. And my meme was um, London players still cut the crust off their bread, change my mind. Or it might have been still cut the crust off their peanut butter sandwiches, change my mind. <laughs> that was yeah. the meme. I would make the argument that London players, they don't need to make their own sandwiches. We we outsource and have people make it for us and they end up being really delicious. And I'm trying to think of like what my preference is with cutting the crust off bread. I've been eating. More <laughs> we need you on the record food. for this. So <laughs> I've been having more like rice paper wraps and mm. it's been a while since I've had like a normal sandwich. So yeah, I guess I, I was just saying before we started recording that. Like there, there's a traditional London where you, you just play the setup and it's, it's like a PB and J sandwich. It can get kind of old after a while, um, even though it's still classic. But then there's another type of London, which is more, way more flavorful and extravagant. And there's so many different kind of hidden traps and sidelines. And um, of course, there's Jobava London, which is also can be like super aggressive and trappy. So is that the, is that the Night C3, like the early Night C3? Yeah, knight c3 plus okay. f4. So similar, but a bit different. Allows for e4 earlier on in, in different types of positions. And um, Yeah, I'm a huge junkie for just kind of trendy openings and the, the offbeat lines that people aren't so familiar with. So one of my biggest passions in chess. That was my, like, what brought me to the London in the first place, actually, was uh, I played it, as you described it before, it was cool, although... That's debatable. I played it in like the very early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And it, it felt like at that time, not many people were using it. So I was like, this is great. It's a little offbeat. You know, nobody really sees it coming. And I don't have to know too much. Like I don't have to learn or study too much, which was very appealing to me at the time. Um, so I, I probably was like the the target of my own meme. You know, I was like mm-hmm. playing it to just have the PB and J where it's, you know, kind of kind of dull, but also a staple, a solid staple, you know? Yeah, well, there's all like all these different factors when it comes to openings. It's like sometimes you, you do want to look for openings that either don't require too much study because then you can just learn them quickly and, and get into playing them. Or you can you can strive for openings that require a lot of study and then just try and out-prepare your opponent. Um, and with London, you can kind of take either approach depending how how lazy you are or how uh, how much work you want to put in um and then there there's other like 
qualities of openings in terms of like how popular they are. Sometimes it is worth going for openings that have more surprise value uh, that people are not necessarily as aware of. And sometimes that takes just more kind of staying with the, the trends and um, keeping in tune with top level games. But also it depends with your level too. Like certain openings are more popular at certain levels. And um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's something I can talk about for a while. But I don't know how much like chess we want to discuss on this podcast, how much more like the, the external factors beyond just uh, the board, so. I mean, the beautiful thing about it is there are no rules, right? Mm. If you think about a chess podcast, I mean, you don't have a board, so you can't, you can't show moves, you can't like show variations, but at the same time, chess is such an interesting topic that you can have like lengthy tangential discussions about whatever you want related to it. And I think, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a vein that people can stay with, if you know what I mean. Oh, definitely, yeah. This is actually my, oh man, I lost count. At least my seventh or eighth like podcast episode, wow. like between all the chess podcasts are out now. Um, I was on a couple of the other U.S. chess podcasts, um, okay, Perpetual Chess Podcast. So um, I I don't know if you've listened to any of those interviews in preparation for this one, but uh, yeah, it's always fun to just have a conversation and hopefully tell some stories. I will say that uh, I I always prepare for every guest, but the majority of the prep I did for you was looking at your YouTube channel. Mm. And I think what happened is I had intended to do more than that, but I just kind of went down a rabbit hole and started watching some of your videos. That's so easy to do on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like the ortho schnapp gambit leads to a smork. Uh I just love the title there. I mean, how, what, so where did this explain? Well, my content has kind of evolved over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the last few videos have been a bit more like meme I would say, mm-hmm. where uh, it's more like more for entertainment, but there's still educational value. It's still kind of these, these offbeat openings where they, they can be like really trappy and tactical. And uh, yeah, I think the, the few most recent videos I posted, there were some like really cool kind of knockout blow tactics that you don't see every day. Um, and to clarify, a smork is uh, <laughs> a smothered mate fork. So you deliver a smothered mate as you're forking stuff. Oh my um, gosh! <laughs> I see. I I I was assuming that um, uh, there was sort of there was some kind of like uh, origin of this. Like, did mm-hmm. it occur at some point, and you just kind of put the words together, and then it forever after became a smork? Or was the origin actually that video? So the the word smork was actually born out of the Twitch chat because okay. a lot of my content on YouTube is just me, uh, me live streaming on Twitch and I take the best moments or games and, and put them on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So I'll, a lot of my content isn't pre-planned and it's just kind of what happens in the moment. And when I'm playing games or after a game, there'll be interaction with Twitch chat where they'll, they'll come up with like funny ideas or sometimes they, they offer inspiration for the eventual YouTube title. Um, so I think the, the video before the smork one, it was a disco pork. It was a, so a pork is a pin plus a fork. Oh my God. These are great. Um, and then a disco pork is a discovery pin and fork. And it, the, like, the, the game was actually really beautiful because I, I play one move and it's, it's discovery pin plus fork all in, in one move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, with the YouTube thumbnail, I had to put a put a, a pig with a disco ball in the background to illustrate the disco pork. <laughs> I feel like a disco pork is what chess has needed all these many years, right? Like we've gone thousands of years of chess without a disco pork. Now that we finally have one, I think we've like completed something, you know? Yeah, that's a beautiful thing about chess. Like there's so many even like new concepts and unexplored territory. Uh, still to be discovered. So, um, I mean, a lot of a lot of people focus on the more serious side, like objectively uh, better better ideas. But uh, I think there's there's still a lot of room for kind of the entertainment side and just uh, yeah, coming up with funny concepts that can ignite uh, kind of passion and inspiration for for people who are just taking up the game. Right. Yeah. I mean. Um like like with everything, right? You have to find an access point. You have to find something that piques your interest to pull you in or to draw you in. 
And for a lot of people, that could be something like the Queen's Gambit or a Netflix show, right? Or, or something along those lines or a relative who plays. But um, I, I love the idea of these, like, you know, uh, tropes, titles, memes, whatever you want to call them. Uh, one of them being, uh, like, the Oh No, My Queen thing. <laughs> Mm. which I, I a big meme. yes. So tell, tell us about that. Like, how did this get started? And then it seems to have really like taken on a life of some kind. Yeah. I actually like, I really wish I could go back and find the first time I said, Oh no, my queen. Cause <laughs> it's probably somewhere in my archive, like stream archives and YouTube yeah. channel. Um, but it kind of evolved over the course of, like a few months to a year. Like initially it was just um, like one of the earliest games. It was uh, a situation. Um, I'm sure a lot of players listening will, will know what Legal's Maid is. But for those that don't know, it's, it's when you, you have a knight that's pinned to your queen by a bishop and you move your knight. So you're basically giving up your queen. Um, uh, but then, okay, this, this is where I say, oh no, my queen after I move my knight, the opponent takes the queen and then I deliver uh, maiden two. Right. So it was one way, it was kind of a unique thing to streaming on Twitch where a lot of the times when I stream on Twitch, the opponent who I will be playing could be listening in to what I'm saying. So, and I, I can, like, I usually account for that um, where I don't want to, like, say anything that could lead the, the opponent to, maybe knowing what the best move is in the position. Mm -hmm. um, but there's this concept of on Twitch of like stream sniping. Stream sniping, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also re reverse stream sniping. So, <laughs> oh no, my This is like some next level stuff here. It is, yeah. I the mean, reverse the whole, stream like, sniping. The whole introduction to like Twitch and chess and overlap, it's, um, there's so many new, uh, new things which are now kind of taking existence. So, oh no, my queen is kind of like a reverse stream snipe where you you try and act to make it believe that you just blunder the queen when in reality uh, it's just, it's poisonous if the opponent takes it, they're, they're getting punished. Um, and there, there's been a bunch of videos, like if you search, I think now if you just search YouTube for Oh No My Queen, you'll find a bunch of like compilation videos and um, a lot on my channel, but a lot on like other channels too. And um, I think there's been a handful of uh of like tiktoks too that have mm -hmm. started like using this and uh i recently launched oh no my queen merch so you can get uh get a, a couple different merch designs do you um, have do you have oh no my queen mugs available i do yeah we have mugs oh, okay. shirts i'm hats. down i'm getting one uh, i actually so last year i bought the domain name oh no my queen.com <laughs> I love it. That's but awesome. I bought, I bought it when I was like super sleep deprived and then I just forgot about it mm -hmm. until a few days ago. Uh, and I wasn't directing anywhere. So I just set it up to redirect to my merch site. So um, yeah, ohnomyqueen.com or shop.iamrosen.com will, uh, will have the, all, all the merch. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to expand the inventory beyond uh, just my logo and Oh No My Queen, but uh, it's a gradual process. I feel like we need uh, a smart disco pork type of something. Yeah, there's so many, uh, so many ideas. The thing with making merch is I want to make sure like the design is high quality. That right. it's not just a, a, a thing that's kind of rushed together, but it's um, it's good design and good product. So um, I'm hoping to um, to have more uh, more products come soon. Um, and with Oh No, My Queen, we uh, hired like professional designers to um, to actually put together like a cool, cool text effect and nice typography. So I'm totally checking it out right now. I'm just going to look at all the cool stuff because oh, yeah. I, I, oh yeah, I just want to see the designs and, and how it looks. That's really neat. That's cool. So um, at what point did you know, or maybe it just kind of happened, but at what point did you just decide, you know what, I'm going to do... Because you're you're pretty much a full time streamer now, right? I mean, I know you do some side gigs. You go you go play live. You um, you still, uh, I believe, uh, do a lot of photography. But at what point did you kind of just think I'm going to go for this? 
Yeah, it was more gradual rather than mm -hmm. just a specific moment or epiphany. Um, I'll also mention that it's it can be hard for me to like, communicate what I do, mm -hmm. especially to people who aren't familiar with the whole like chess YouTube streaming space. Um, <laughs> I play chess <laughs> and I talk about it and other people watch me. <laughs> yeah, I, I play chess and people just give me money. So um, it's it's kind of a, it's a different business model than the typical right. job that most people are, are used to. Um, but yeah, I, I usually refer to myself as like just online content creator. Um, just between Twitch and YouTube, that's been the main focus for um, for at least the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I started as kind of just a passion project. Like I graduated from college in 2017 and just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like I didn't know if I wanted to still pursue chess or get like a normal job. Um, so shortly after graduation, I took like a two-month Europe trip and I was supporting myself just by giving like private online lessons mm -hmm. as a side job all throughout college um, kind of started in high school so at that point I was making enough to kind of support myself and travels and I was taking advantage of like overseas tournaments that would provide conditions like either like free hotel or food or appearance fee um, that's one of the nice perks of being an IM right but uh I mean, for a long time, even before graduating, I kind of had a um, this nagging ambition to try and grow a, like an online brand and do content. And it took a while for me to actually start and do consistently. Um, but when I was done with college, I, uh, I had a lot more free time and started um, making kind of chess content pretty regularly on Twitch and YouTube, probably around October 2017. Mm -hmm. um, it was purely a passion project. Like I wasn't really looking to turn it into a full-time job. It was more just, I enjoy playing chess and providing educational value. Um, I should also mention, like I was really shy in the beginning. Like mm -hmm. it was really uncomfortable for me to put myself in front of a like camera live stream myself and just it's kind of weird just talking alone in a room to virtual people on the internet and i would get really nervous even when like a, a dozen people were watching um of course nowadays there's usually a, a thousand or two thousand um but like I, I was just kind of passionate about uh about yeah just playing chess talking through my moves and I've been coaching for so long, so it uh, just felt natural like almost, coaching. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a different outlet um, to uh, to what I was already doing, um, and probably for the first year, year and a half, it was not a great return on like the investment of time. Mm -hmm. Like, if you calculate the amount of hours I stream and put into like trying to make YouTube content. Um, compared or, and, and and look at what I was making then, it was well below minimum wage. But it, uh, of course, it turned out to be a, a decent investment as the audience continued to grow right. and things became more sustainable. And yeah, eventually it, it became more, um, I mean, I would say uh, more lucrative, but also just also more enjoyable than one-on-one -on -one coaching where I could... Um, bring value to just a, a much broader online community. And uh, yeah, I've been enjoying it ever since. It still feels like a passion project for me. Like every time I go live on Twitch, it's, um, it's because I'm motivated and passionate about streaming, not necessarily because it's uh, just my, my job these days. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that um, the, the, I guess the nervousness of, of interacting with an audience for a first time and going from that to where you are now. Um, I think, you know, one of, <laughs> I apologize in advance for sharing this story. Uh, one of my first memories, I don't know if you remember this, but we played a very long time ago um, when you were maybe 12 or 13 oh, years old. Do you remember this game? suppressed memories. Oh, Didn't you write, so like, sorry. Did you blog about this or something? So actually, uh, at the time, I was contracted to write articles for the Illinois Chess Bulletin. And um, I just didn't have any, like, games. To, to show that particular round. 
uh, other than this rapid tournament that you and I met in. And I showed my game with Georgiev, where I actually played the Polish against Georgiev, wow. um, Grandmaster Vladimir Georgiev, and was uh, appropriately punished for my decision. Um, Deservedly so. <laughs> yes. And then, and then I showed uh, my game with you as well. Um, and I, 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 I honestly, I don't remember too much about what we played at the time. Um, but the reason I bring that up is, um, you know, that was sort of my memory uh, of you. It was the first time we met over the board. Um, and then when I first came across your stream, I thought, oh, I've played Eric before. <laughs> and it was strange to have these two very divergent, um, I guess, personalities would be the best way to put it. You know, my last memory of you as a 13, 14 year old kid and then seeing you screaming. Um, it was uh, it was cool. I mean, it was awesome. But what I guess I guess there's a question in here somewhere, which is, you know, what kind of helped you move past that initial hesitation? Oh, well, first of all, I want to say like the tournament I played you, that was my worst tournament ever. I lost my first <laughs> three games and then withdrew. Oh, no, I'm I, sorry. <laughs> I think it was the only time in my life I lost three games in a row. I'm sorry for bringing up these these old memories. I apologize. Yeah, oh, just to set the record straight, you have duly crushed me multiple times uh, recently. So, um, have, we, have we played recently though? Well, I guess oh, I should say Chicago in my book Open. recently. Yeah, we played Chicago Open, and I think the other one was a Tim Just, where I just, um, if I remember correctly, I, I tried some experiment on the black side of uh, Sicilian, maybe. I don't mm. remember. I, I remember our Chicago Open game um, with some Queen's Gambit declined, but... Uh, yes, you played very well. You played the Knight of Fate to G6 idea, I think, right? You know what's funny is uh, the first time I played you, that was my worst tournament ever. The second time I played you, and most recent time, that was my best tournament ever. <laughs> I almost won Chicago Open that year. I was winning in the wow. final round, plus five against Ashton Jairam. If I won, I would have tied for first with Jeffrey Jean. Oh my gosh. Um, we eventually drew. I missed out on a GM norm, but uh, that was the, yeah, that was the first round of the event. And, yeah, I remember playing like this deep prep with uh, yeah, night night F8 to G6 and Queen's Gambit declined. And remember checking the game afterwards, and almost all my moves matched the engine, but half of the game was prep for me. So very nice. Yeah, I, I felt like I, I ran into something very painful. <laughs> I remember coming away from that game thinking uh, I needed to do some work. Yeah, so I know we, we were tangenting a little bit there. I think the, the initial question was how I overcame the hesitation. Yeah, or, so, or you know, um, yeah, overcome. Maybe that's not the right way to phrase it. You know, just uh, how do you um, break, out of the, break out of the shell, I guess. Maybe that's a better way to phrase it. Yeah, I mean, it really helped because I guess many years ago, I, I really enjoyed chess. I enjoyed teaching chess, mm -hmm. but... I didn't really like um, public speaking or just right. talking. Like I'm, I'm way more introverted, which maybe sometimes it's hard to see that online. Where like when I stream on Twitch, I have to talk for hours, basically nonstop. Um, but sometimes when there's something that you are not comfortable with or is not like a strong point, it actually helps to combine that with something that you're really passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, so then there's more motivation to like, get better at the thing that you're weak at. And um, I mean, probably like a year or two before I started streaming, I was really into, if you've heard of Gary Vaynerchuk. I have not. He's, so he's like a motivational speaker, entrepreneur, does a lot of content on just kind of more modern social media marketing and how to grow, like grow a brand online and a lot of strategy for um, just YouTube and just uh, the modern era of content creation. And I just kind of just consumed everything he was putting out there. And it gave me a ton of uh, just motivation and inspiration to, to start my own thing. And um, he's, uh, yeah, he still makes like a ton of great content for anyone. That this is Gary V, right? Gary V. Yes. yes, that's okay. So I have heard of him. I just actually didn't know his full last name. That's okay. that's amusing that, you know, just because of the way social media works, right? Like we know their handle, we know their username, but not... It can be uh, a lot about branding, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he, he stays on the cutting edge of like 
different technologies and everything coming out. I know he's very involved with the NFT space and crypto space right now, but uh, a few years ago he was very uh, very bullish on just growing growing an audience online. Still is, mm -hmm. of course. Um, so yeah, that was like I got into his content probably in 2017. Just consumed a lot, but one of the things he he does preach is you. Um, especially if you want to like start your own thing, you have to create way more than you consume. Yeah. Um, and yeah, eventually I, um, I, I don't really watch him much uh, anymore, but um, the, a lot of the, the lessons that he's, he's shared through his content have stuck with me. Hmm. Yeah, I, I actually, um, now, as soon as, as soon as you started talking about him, I'm like, wait a minute, this sounds like somebody who I know, I know quite well. Um, speaking of creating content, one of the questions I had for you was related to like collabs and other things you've done. But before I do that, I, I actually am sort of um, omitting a very critical question here, which I really wanted to to hit you with. So mm -hmm. uh, I apologize in advance for this one. But chess boxing, mm -hmm. you versus Levy Rosman, who would win? <laughs> I, I've, I get this question uh, an unnecessary amount Oh, no, no. Oh, darn. I was really hoping that I could get, oh, like, the first definitive answer. So so there is a tweet from Levy, like, I don't know, sometime within the last year, year and a half, mm -hmm. where, like, he, he wanted to face someone in chess boxing. I think he may have tagged me in the tweet or something. Um, but I... I don't really enjoy contact sports. Like, I don't want to hurt anyone, especially right. Levy. Um, so <laughs> Levy was on the show, and, and he mentioned that he, he he told a little backstory. So I had to, yeah. I had to ask. I think now it, it seems like Levy is is wanting to chess box like a niche Kiri, um, maybe Hikaru. I don't know, but uh, yeah, the, the the thing that I I would be up for is chess unboxing, where you just open chess sets <laughs> and review them that, that would be a bit more wholesome and less violent i actually love that idea chess unboxing or well another one that may that's definitely non-contact and involves uh multiple skills would be underwater chess are you familiar with that one Ooh, i've heard of it where like you have to dive and basically when you go underwater the time that you have is how much you can hold your breath Right. Exactly. Yeah, you have you have to move before you go back up. So you know you can you can calculate and think as long as you want, but, but before you go back up for the next breath, you have to make your move. Yeah, it sounds like a cool idea. I feel like if I try that, I would probably drown. But <laughs> uh, maybe someday. It sounds I'm like really yeah. bad at holding my breath. It sounds like a, a, a classic chess player thing to do, right? Like just uh, calculating a variation and accidentally forget that you have to breathe. Yeah, you just kind of get in the zone, and then yeah, that, that sounds slightly dangerous. But uh, yeah, that's um, I, I like the concept of like combining chess with other sorts of like sports or like kind of the emergence of new chess variants. Um, I feel like there's there's more way more room these days to just innovate and try and create uh, different types of chess. Um, recently, I I played ping pong chess. Oh, I've not is, heard of this one. Okay. It's something I've played, I've played a decent amount over the years. Um, I'm sure I wasn't the first person to, to think of it, but the, the concept is you play a point in ping pong, whoever wins a point makes a move. So if you win multiple points in a row, you can make multiple moves in a row. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Interesting. So usually the better ping pong player wins, but if you're playing someone close in level, then... Then it can be really interesting because it comes down to like critical moments. Like if you're you're one move away from taking a queen or checkmating, then uh, uh, then it's, it's yeah, it comes down to who wins the points. So that's a really cool concept. That's actually that reminds me of something I used to do at chess camp to try to get kids engaged and to um, you know focus on their positions. I would give them each a puzzle on a separate board. They would have the same puzzle set, you know, mm -hmm. like nine or ten problems or, or however many I needed. Um, obviously it would have to be more than that to complete a game, but I'd give them nine or 10 at a time. And anytime they solved a puzzle correctly and could show all the variations, they got to make a move on the center board against mm. their opponent. 
And if they, you know, if they got nine or 10 pulses correctly before the other guy could get any, then obviously they could just checkmate him. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so it was pretty neat. Interesting. I actually love chess variants. I, I would say that I like chess variants more than I like I like chess, which might put me in the minority. So um, what's your favorite variant then? Oh man, that's tough. Um, probably bug house. I just, I love bug house a lot just because of the action and playing with partner is always super fun. Um, but I'm also a huge fan of 960. I really enjoy 960. I usually try to play like all the lead chess titled 960s. And uh, Racing Kings, for some reason, just like reaches me in a very, very deep place. Really? Wow. <laughs> Racing Kings scares me. I have no strategy for that game. And there's people who like really study theory that I just, I've, I lost a few games and I was just scared away from, from that one. I have to say that like Racing Kings, uh, I, have, I have not studied anything. It's just like wild, insane, and kind of fun. I don't know. <laughs> that's, my, that's my approach to it. It's like, I'm just going to try to get my king to the other side and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's still kind of chess, but it's also nothing like chess. Right. <laughs> it's the same movements. And, um, yeah, it's, especially these days, I mean, there's so many. Uh, there, there's like new variants emerging too. There's one called uh, Kung Fu Chess. Oh, wow. Okay. It's actually, uh, it, w it was used to be more popular in the like early 2000s. Mm -hmm. It was on some like random gaming site that eventually shut down. But now there's another site that's I'm pretty sure it's open source and it functions pretty well. Um, the concept is it's chess without turns. Hmm. And you play online and okay. there's a cooldown period after you move a piece. So if you move a piece, you can't move that same piece again for like another five seconds. And the objective huh. is to take your opponent's king. Okay. And because it's online, like it's it's relatively stable, like pieces aren't falling over and there's this whole strategy of timing different types of tactics with like taking a piece and then moving everything to defend the piece that you just moved. Um, so it's it's become my most recent like favorite variant. Um, that actually sounds awesome. I have to I have to be honest. Like that sounds really fun. Yeah, just it's, constant it's action almost. Trying. The, the thing is, sometimes it's hard to find an opponent um, mm -hmm. if uh, like these sites don't get too much traffic. But the, the site is just kungfuchess.org. Okay. And I've streamed on it a few times and made some YouTube con content on it. Um, but the problem is when I stream on the site, it drives so much traffic to the website that it crashes. And... Uh, it's happened a few times, so then I feel bad. Wow, it's, uh, wow. It's kind of melting the servers. I mean, that's actually, I have to say, that's actually awesome. <laughs> you know, that, that you can just it's create problem, that much. Yes. Right, it's a great problem. I, I would imagine the, the owners of the site are happy to have that problem and try to figure it out. So, yeah, it's only happened uh, a couple of times. And, um, yeah, I'm, I think they're, like, they, they did some, like, upgrade to the, the site recently, so... It should be a, a bit more stable now, and um, yeah, it, it can be super addictive too because there is there is kung fu chess like standard, but then there's four player kung fu chess. Oh my gosh! So four players <laughs> moving without turns, and it's super wild. And, um, yeah, so I have a couple of videos on my my YouTube channel on that. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely checking those out. And actually, I'm making a note here uh, because one of my dreams. I, I don't know if. I will ever live to see this dream come to fruition, but I hope I will. One of my dreams is to try to have um, an official, like US chess sponsored national variant championship. Ooh. And I, I kind of imagine it being like a multi-day uh, affair. Festival. Yeah, like a festival thing where, where you know each day you're playing different variants or you have the option to play different variants. And then maybe there's like a main event, almost kind of like a World Series of Poker, right? You know how you can play like a like you can play an Omaha, you can play a pot limit, you can play whatever, and then there's also the main event. Like there's other tables, and there's the main event. I think that you know doesn't doesn't that sound cool? Like you could that, just that have like a complete awesome. yeah. yeah. There's really not too many organized, especially OTB like organized tournaments for variants. But the way I imagine it working would be like maybe like fifty percent of the variants would be OTB games. But I think that for some, I, I just don't see any way other than playing them online. 
Like a good example would be like Crazy House. Bughouse you could maybe play over the board, right? I mean, it's tricky when you when you're like doing promotions and that sort of thing. But I could maybe see Bughouse working over the board, but like Crazy House, I I don't see how you could do that if it wasn't online. Yeah, that's true because you need uh yeah you need to keep track of which pieces you're taking right. and placing and everything. Um, yeah. yeah, the the one event I can think of that had like a good amount of variants, like side events basically for variants, was uh, a part of Pizzi, uh Chess Festival. I'm sure I butchered the pronunciation. Could you could um, you spell that for us? Uh, P A R D U B I C E. Okay, There's and where was this? Accent marks over the, the letters. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so it's in the Czech Republic. Okay. And uh, it's like maybe couple hour drive from Prague. Okay. Um, I've, I attended for like a day. I just did a day trip there um, back in, I think it was 2018. And I played one of the side events. Um, but it's just like a massive chess festival of like a, a serious like nine round competition for norms. A lot of GMs show up. But then it's like a lot of social events and there's sporting outings. And um, the, the one side event I played in was called Basque Chess. B A S Q U E. Okay. And uh, it's just, uh, it's normal chess, but you play two games at once against the same opponent. Oh, wow. Okay. So that like sounds you awesome. Give a simul and it's rapid. So it's like 10 minutes and you, you sit like in between two boards and you, like, I was making move one board, I made moves with my left hand, one board, I made moves with my right hand. And uh, it was super fun, but also like twice as stressful to monitor yeah. those games. Was it was it like blitz or was it slower time control or what? Oh, it was rapid. So I think it was oh, like okay. ten minutes with a five second increment. So it was you still got to play pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really that's super cool. You didn't want to be thinking on both games at once because then all your time is draining. So um, an opening preparation really helped with that too. If you could just blitz out the opening on both boards, right. I, I don't know if um, you've heard of this, but one of my one of my friends uh, who also came on the show, I think I mentioned uh, to you earlier, Brian Wall, um, sure. very interesting character. He had this tournament idea called Attack of the Clones, where you could basically just enter the tournament as many times as you wanted, and you would be paired that many times per round. So um, it's a you know it's a normal chess, regular regular thing, but uh, you could be like Eric Rosen, Eric Rosen clone one, Eric Rosen clone two, Eric Ooh, Rosen clone three. So like give a simul. Yeah, wow. except it would be counting towards like tournament points for each for each individual player, right? You don't, you can't, you yourself can't score like four points in one round, but Eric Rosen clone one can score a point, and Eric Rosen clone I two see. can score a point. Yeah, and if clone three is like losing all their games, maybe they could withdraw so the other clones could could continue. Could yeah. continue. <laughs> <laughs> would that be online or OTB? That they did this. They did this OTB. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how many players showed up, but I think like a fair amount, and it turned out, I think it turned out to be mostly successful. I don't I don't have all the details. This is like an unconfirmed reports type situation, you know. I just imagine a lot of people running around across boards and running into each other. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you get your cardio in for the for the week. It sounds like a nice workout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love I love ideas like that. You know, that I would love to see uh, more. Um, creative chess tournament like structures and, and approaches. Oh, definitely, yeah. Or even if it's not like for a tournament, or even like so competitive, just um, kind of the the nature of what I've been doing on on YouTube mm -hmm. and Twitch is just trying to innovate new types of chess content ideas yeah. that haven't been really seen before. Um, like a, a recent one I did actually was over the board kung fu chess. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, I, I played against Katarina Nemsova on the giant chessboard outside the, the World Chess Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just played without turns, but we made a rule that you can't move the same piece twice in a row. Like you have to move two other pieces before you can move that the same piece again. So oh, it's actually playable. And okay. uh, it was also like a great kind of cardio workout. I was going to say on like a huge board like that, you would have to be moving like constantly almost, right? Oh yeah, it was, it was just nonstop. So it was, uh, yeah, it felt like a sprint. <laughs> I, yeah, like if the other person could just like reach the piece before you can, right? I mean, that's, they're just going to make the capture or whatever it may be. Yeah, timing was important. And then, then there's a, the case where like 
I'm moving my bishop across the board to take her rook, but if she moves a rook out of the way right before I, I get there, then my, my bishop has to <laughs> land on like an empty square. So. Oh my god, that sounds awesome, actually. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was fun, yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's definitely worth playing, especially on a giant board. So like, um, speaking of return to in-person chess, um, I saw recently that you also started playing OTB again, of course, over the summer. Um, you played the National Open, which is one of my favorite tournaments on the calendar. I haven't been in a few years. Uh, mm. Makes me sad. I, I, they used to have, I don't know if they did, did it this year, but they used to have a bug house tournament even there. Um, what was it like? I mean, how, how was going back to OTB in the time of COVID? Yeah, it was, um, it was a bit weird for me. First of all, because I was plan I was initially planning to go and just not play. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to go hang out, um, maybe play a few of the Blitz or Rapid side events. I don't think they did the Buckhouse side event. Yeah. Um, but the day before the tournament started, I just felt like actually playing serious chess. Okay. And I did no preparation beforehand, like no serious training. Like if if I knew I was gonna play, like I, I'd do at least some some. Uh, tactic solving and uh, opening preparation leading up but uh, I just went in and played and um, it was very refreshing it was my first OTB tournament um, since the I guess it was uh, the 2020 amateur team north tournament which is February 2020 so it was about a year and a half gap um, mm -hmm. which definitely led to me having some rust like I've, I've felt a bit slower with calculations and just going from playing so much online chess like so much just online blitz and bullets and then actually playing otb where games are taking three three to five hours on average um it was a slight culture shock but it was uh yeah, it was actually really refreshing, and mm -hmm. I felt like I was in reasonable form, just given the fact I hadn't played in a while, didn't do preparation. Um, I took every game seriously. I uh, I, I had a decent result. Um, I had like a really tough loss to Akshat Chandra, where I was winning and then missed a win and then ended up losing. <sighs> but uh, overall, I think I gained like three rating points. I drew. Uh, Drew GM Nico Cheka in the last round, mm -hmm. and like after the event, I felt more motivated to just play more OTB and uh, and just try and focus on my own improvement too. Um, now, with that said, I haven't played a, a tournament since Vegas, but I'm definitely looking to play more, uh, especially in the coming year as more tournaments return. Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've heard mixed reviews on kind of. Uh, I guess the quote unquote return to normal after, after all that has happened. Right. Um, and the consensus sort of seems to be, yeah, I want to play more, <laughs> you know, it's almost like we missed out on things for so long that, um, do you feel there's some of that to it? You know, just like, oh, I wish oh, I could have done it. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you get deprived of something yeah. like OTB chess for so long, then you uh i think you become more grateful for it and take advantage of, of opportunities when you can actually play play and enjoy events um right and especially in nice locations like it's it's nice playing in vegas where yeah uh it's not like the the hotel basement of some like random suburb where you're just kind of stuck <laughs> um but yeah. although in vegas like you, you like in the midst of a a long tournament like that it's two games a day then you, i still kind of got stuck in the hotel for most of it but it's still better uh, better scenery yeah you you travel quite a bit right i mean not just not just vegas and within the us but you do you do quite a lot of travel is it um mainly these days more for covering tournaments maybe more for fun just hanging out or or playing uh, where where were you at with that yeah so i guess pre-pandemic I was traveling a lot more, just mm -hmm. internationally and everything. Um, I, I kind of lived nomadically for a couple of years, like after graduating, basically from 2017 to 2019. Uh, I did a lot of international travel and um, yeah, took advantage of events all over the world, Australia, Asia, Europe, 
and um, kind of use chess as a vehicle for just exploring new places and yeah. um, and and traveling to meet friends in uh, in random countries. Um, more recently, I've like just given the fact that travel is becoming more accessible. I've I've done more than I did in, in 2020 sure. uh, with taking trips. Um, so I, of course, I played Vegas. And then in July, um, it's July. So uh, shortly after Vegas, I went to Sochi during a World Cup. Right. Not to play, but to be uh, one of the official photographers. So, um, yeah, there's different ways for me to take advantage of travel, travel opportunities for chess. Um, not just playing, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm one of the few like chess photographers out there who like, covers large events. So that's actually nice to to go to a tournament and not have to stress about playing chess, but just photograph chess players. And yeah, then, yeah. And then I was going to say, coming up uh, a few days after uh, after today, I'll be going to Dubai for the World Championship match. Also to, to to be an official photographer, so really looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I was just, I was just gonna say I, I think um, if I remember correctly, you have a, a background like uh, study wise in photography. Is that correct? Yeah, so my major in college it was uh, interactive digital media, so it okay. encompassed photography, right. web design, video production, like a lot of uh, kind of emerging technologies. <laughs> Very useful tools for your your current uh, work. Exactly. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, the, the overlap with like chess content creation it was it turned out to be a great fit, and it was a diversified enough major where even though I didn't really know what I wanted to do, it, it opened up a lot of options later on. Mm -hmm. Out of all the places you've played, you know, for for me, I can think of maybe two or three that just really stick out in my mind as I would love to get back to a tournament there. You know. Mm -hmm. Um, what sticks out for you? You know, you mentioned a lot of diverse locations. Are there are there one, two, or three that you just really had a great experience? Was a neat place to go? Oh yeah, that's a good question. I should have like a prepared answer for this, <laughs> man. Uh, well, you know, there's this concept of like thin slicing. Have you, are you familiar with that? Have you heard of that? Uh, not not when it comes to things that aren't edible. <laughs> Basically, and I'm gonna I'm gonna probably butcher this for the for the scientists out there, but basically, you know, the the general premise is, um, whatever your first gut reaction is to something, it's probably gonna be like more correct and more accurate than if you spend a bunch of time thinking about. It. Gotcha. Okay. So the the two things that came to mind initially were these um, uh, tournaments in Europe. One was uh, Banaske, Spain. Okay. Which uh, it's like a small mountain town. Ooh. Uh, I'm I'm right yeah. there. I'm intrigued already. <laughs> you yeah, had me at small mountain town. A small mountain town population, like two thousand, mm -hmm. um, and they they have a chess tournament annually that attracts like five hundred chess players. Wow! Um, so population increases a lot during the tournament, and it's a, like a three hour bus ride from Barcelona, and it's just amazing scenery. Like the the whole town is like you can walk around it in the span of fifteen minutes. And there's a lot of nice hiking trails. And I went two years in a row, 2017 and 2018. And uh, actually did like a whole write-up for U.S. chess. Um, in 2018, uh, Kostyev Kowitski was also playing. And you could probably look up the article. It was uh, some like travel. Uh, I forget the exact name. But if, if people Google like... Rosen, Kavutsky, Banaske, you could probably find it. Can you can you spell that town name for our listeners? Because oh, yeah. uh, I'm sure they, like me, really want to check it up. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, uh, B-E-N-A-S-Q-U-E. Okay, I'm sure, I'm, like me, I'm already thinking I'm definitely going to check this place out, so I just wanted to make note of that. It's a great bucket list tournament, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, there's like uh, some kayaking and horseback riding. 2018 took advantage of that. And, had some very good restaurants too, um, so I would definitely go back there. Um, and then the other one which came to mind, which I also went to, I guess two years in a row, so also 2017-2018, as uh, this one in Romania. It's a Fisca okay. Open Open uh, F I S C A. Uh, it's some acronym in Romanian. Mm -hmm. 
but it was hosted in this like Romanian tourist town. There's actually a couple of towns, uh, Venus and Jupiter. And it's like right on the beach. Interesting and, names. Uh, yeah, the playing venue was like this open glass room with a lot of natural lights and attracted mostly Romanian players. But uh, okay, there was still a, a decent number of foreigners. And um, yeah, it was, it was super fun. Um, and they also like gave nice conditions to like for me being a, a foreign IM, they provided yeah. a hotel for for both years I attended. So I would go back there as well. You mentioned Reddit earlier. Are you familiar with the subreddit uh, R slash Earthporn? Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah, like just really nice, <laughs> really nice scenic photos of places on Earth, right? <laughs> yeah, so um, that's the that's the gist of it. And I actually have this file in my Google Drive just called Earthporn. Uh, and it's not it's not it's not the it's images not saved off of reddit it's not dirty it's like it's uh, it's it's not you know it's not in sfw that's a double negative uh, i should have to return my english degree um but uh i was actually shocked because the more that i browsed the subreddit earth porn what i was doing in this file is i was just writing down the name of the location, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like bucket list place to visit. The really cool ones that pop up, I would make a note of, I would make a record of. And I was shocked at how many in my file kept coming up with Romania. Like it was, you know, it was a, a bridge in Romania or like a town in Romania or like, you know, just a beach or a mountain. And it was always Romania. And I was just, I, I was like, I have to visit this country. <laughs> I think this oh, has wow. to be on my, this has to be on my list. So. Did you have that experience? Was it as scenic as Earthborn might lead me to believe? So, unfortunately, I didn't really get to explore much outside the the, the chess players' curse. You're always in. You're always so, in the tournament. I mean, I right? Spent a, a week and a half on the beach, and that was that was nice. But uh, in terms of exploring other other places within the country, uh, I spent like one day in uh, in Bucharest. <laughs> but uh, I'll have to go back and <laughs> explore the national parks because I know what you're talking about. Like some like really nice scenic, especially like photo opportunities that uh, that you can come across. Um, another tournament that's very high on my bucket list, also probably very prevalent, uh, just a location on on Earth porn is is Iceland. Yeah. Um, it was a Reykjavik Open, which I've wanted to play for the last like, three years now. don't think they had it last year. But uh, if they run it this year, I think there's a very good chance that I'll play. Iceland is such a photogenic country. Yeah, we have that in common. That's also, that's also one on my bucket list. I think not only just as, as a country, you know, in terms of visiting, but also chess history. You know, one of the first chess books I ever read that actually really got me interested in, in chess as a sport was the New York Times report on the Fischer-Spassky match in Iceland. Mm. And um, I think, you know, it, it almost has, for me, this sort of like mythic quality as like a, a place where this all happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like revisiting a historical landmark almost. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And Fischer is, uh, is buried there, of course. Right. And actually, so Iceland was the first European country I visited. I just kind of flew the, through on the way to the rest of Europe. Mm -hmm. um, I spent a couple of days there and did the whole road trip of the Golden Circle, saw, saw Fisher's Grave, saw um, a few national parks and geysers, and it was, it was really, really nice. But two days was just not enough to, yeah. to see the whole country. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. I, I love, you know, that to me, most of my favorite events have been in, in scenic places like that, you know, uh, so it's great to hear. Uh, I, I, I'm definitely adding this Benaske, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's got to go on there. That's got to go on there. You mentioned it has great restaurants. What's the, what's the best meal you've had at a, at a tournament? I, I've got one in mind for, for me. Ooh, but, at a tournament. Or it does, I'm not even going to say that. Just maybe let's say Welsh rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a, a few come to mind. I'm trying to apply this thin, thin slicing. <laughs> Um, I'd see, I see. I I probably am like butchering the concept there, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that's the gist of it. Okay, so I'll I'll try and give a few different locations for people that want to explore, uh, explore the world. Um, this year, best meal I had was in Vegas, not okay. during National wow. Open, but I was actually in Vegas a few months, or a month before National Open, for a bachelor party 
Um, if you know Michael Odger, <laughs> obviously you do. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're in a fantasy football league together as well, actually. Oh, oh, very cool. Um, yeah, and actually, a previous guest of the the show, Akash, was was also there, and uh, Will Aramel. So, like a lot of you, you could have fit right in. Uh, <laughs> table. Where was my invite? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we we went to uh, what is I think considered one of the best restaurants in Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's called Ma Thirty Two. It's like okay. modern Asian Chinese fusion, and. Uh, like super high scale, but just uh, some of the best food I've ever had. Oh man, I'm like salivating. Yeah, the um, the bill was pretty pricey, but it was worth it, and I would mm-hmm. definitely go back. And just the the food at like these Vegas restaurants in general. Um, there's some really good places, and there's so many so many different types of cuisines to explore there too. Yeah. So. Um, but beyond Vegas, uh, I had really good food in Malaysia. Okay. And went there in 2019, not for chess, just for kind of vacation with a few friends. And uh, they have like a Groupon thing, comparable to Groupon, where you, like you, you make a reservation, you get a big discount. So we were eating at like five-star restaurants for like 10 or $15 per meal. Wow. Um, Went to like really nice Indian place and Chinese place and uh, a Chinese place. There were like four waiters taking care of our table and it was amazing. That sounds um, awesome. So that's another place I would definitely go back to. And I actually love Malaysian food. We had where I went to college, I went to Iowa State, um, which was situated in the middle of nowhere almost in like Northwest Iowa. And it was very bizarre because uh, despite being um, off the beaten path in you know small you know not so well populated area it had these amazing like uh ethnic restaurants i mean it had like three or four just like great chinese restaurants uh, it had a malaysian place an indonesian place and just you would not have expected it in a small town in iowa um but yeah i'm a big fan yeah that sounds really random actually <laughs> it, it was totally random like i was just like what i'm not going to complain i love it this is great but what you know like what? how Oh, it's nice to find those types of places where, um, and I think you find more of those in like larger cities where there's more diverse population and right. people are kind of starting restaurants with their like ethnic cuisine. Um, I've been making an effort recently just to try like all the food options in the central West End, like the area of the, yeah. the chess club. Because um, I've been getting more kind of requests recently of people uh, visiting the the chess club in St. Louis and just asking for restaurant recommendations. And, sure. Um, there, there's a lot of good options, just, just walking distance, which uh, take advantage of all the time. Um, but they, uh, of course, Kingside, Kingside Diner across from the chess club, I think should right. be on the bucket list of any, uh, any chess player who, um, I mean, there's not too many chess-themed restaurants in the world, so... Um, they have re- really good breakfast food and nice lattes as well. Oh, and then another one, which I have to mention, is uh, it's this chess-themed cafe in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, which, nice. Okay. Uh, it's just outside, or not, not Melbourne, uh, out, just outside Sydney. Okay. Um, I visited in 2019, or no, 2018. Hard to keep track of the years, but... Uh, I visited during like late December and they were closed for the holiday season, but the owner opened the restaurant just so I could visit. And there was a small like chess meetup. Like, a bunch of locals came and they have a, a mocktail named after me. It's just called really? the Rosen. Um, <laughs> so I got to try my own drink and it was really, really good. Um, so what is in, what is in the Rosen? It has, Rose water, rose petals, yuzu lemon soda, or yuzu lemon soda. Um, it was like nice mix. It's lightly carbonated, very refreshing, non-alcoholic. Uh, I would. I only had it once, but uh, I would definitely go back to have it again. So I, I have a I have a future Oceana tour planned. You know, sort of uh, another one of my bucket list items. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd, and uh, I don't I don't know if you're familiar, but the the movies were filmed in like New Zealand, 
Um, okay. So I want to like I'm aware of that. Yeah, yeah I want to like go visit the Shire and all that stuff. But mm. definitely a new pin on that future tour is going to be try the Rosen. Yeah, if you travel all the way to Oceania, yeah, yeah. How can you not, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At that point, you're already there. And the so the restaurant or cafe, it's called Queenside, and okay. we have. Oh wow, Kingside and Queenside, interesting. Yeah, just uh, a short, uh, short plane ride across the world <laughs> <laughs> to make to make the the, the combo. Exactly, but uh, they they have a bunch of menu items like um, there's a sandwich called the Fine Gold. Which is completely vegan. Oh my god, that's shahadi. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I had no idea this existed. Eric, this is why I wanted to bring you on the show. I knew you'd have all the details of all the cool stuff. Yeah, just trying to share things that maybe people haven't uh, heard of before. For sure. Well, Eric, there's there's one uh, last question, if if you don't mind, that I'd like to finish with. I've asked all my guests this, and um, you've provided a lot of great insights already. But I'm curious, you know, what advice would you have to people who want to get into what you're doing? You know, it's such a booming industry. There's a lot of uh, streamers who are starting out. There's a lot of ambitious chess players who want to kind of get into this thing. What advice would you have for them? So you're talking about getting into like streaming? Streaming, content creation, creation, exactly. Yep. Streaming, YouTube, Twitch, et cetera. I feel like you asked Levy this question. I did. (laughs) I've asked everybody this question. Don't do it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yeah, yeah, but he, but he, I think I did get a, I did get a, an answer out of him eventually. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, there's so many things I could say, but first and foremost, it, it should be fueled by passion. Mm. Um, a lot of people, it, like a lot of people, will see like content creators and they they try and like immediately make a career out of it. But you should really kind of stick with what brings you the most joy, and then then on top of that, like providing values to others because that's how you you grow and um and get people coming back so i mean these days it's a lot more competitive just uh i think there's more saturation especially when it comes to chess content so yeah you can help to try and try and innovate with new ideas to stand out and find uh find ways to make your content a bit different from what's already out there but uh I mean, yeah, it's much easier these days too, just to learn, learn the skills that are required to, to get into streaming. I mean, there's abundance of information, uh, mainly on YouTube that you can mm-hmm. look up tutorials. And um, I think if you're just getting into it, you should go in with a process of just trying to learn new skills. And if you're passionate about it, then you you can you can really diversify your skill set because okay, there's a whole kind of nature of presentation and, and your your delivery and kind of how you uh, how you uh, put yourself out there and kind of the whole public speaking side. But then there's also right. a lot of the behind the scenes with designing and overlays and the tech aspects. So. It can be overwhelming at first, but if you take it kind of step by step, and I'll say that the biggest problem for most people, because there's a lot of people that like want to get into this, but like are so overwhelmed by by everything that it, they right. just put, keep putting it off. Um, so the hardest part is just starting. But if you can start with something very very minimal, and then just make the next stream or video a little bit better than the last and gradually tweak things over time. That's really the way to go. And that's pretty much how I started as well. Um, the other thing I'll say, and it's just another kind of, it's one of the few content creators I consume on a very regular basis. And it's someone who talks a lot about just Twitch and YouTube and marketing strategy. Um, it's as this guy, his name is Devin Nash. And I actually found out about him because he made a, uh, a video kind of dissecting the whole, uh, the whole chess boom and how just chess took off kind of during the whole pandemic and breaking down all the analytics of, of streamers and just the growth of the category. Um, but he, he does a lot of content about just advice for new streamers, new content creators, and offers a lot of great insights on kind of the the social media and online marketing space. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to definitely check him out. I'm really interested and fascinated in 
you know, the like you said, the boom and the expansion of chess. You know, it's it's an it's an uh, an age old classic game, and here it is, just sort of in the forefront of this modern uh, esports explosion, which is really cool, in, in my opinion. And honestly, that was the the motivation and the inspiration for me to have a whole dedicate a whole season just to streaming because it's so relevant right now it's so interesting and i i i'm more on the consumer side of i just love watching all the streams you know um but it's just so much fun for me and, and i know our listeners as well to hear the insights and sort of some of the behind the scenes stuff of all the content producers out there so thanks for coming on definitely yeah so uh the, the other thing i'll say just in relation to the original question mm-hmm. was the whole chess economy has really, really grown, especially over the last few years. Yeah. And in addition to there being more opportunities just to stream chess online, there's so many opportunities just to to find work, maybe not necessarily as a chess streamer or content creator, but like all these kind of small chess businesses. And there's just so much overlap now between chess and entrepreneurship, especially with like the major platforms, chess.com, the whole Play Magnus, everything they're doing, Chessable, um, Chess24, of course, like um, Lee Chess is an amazing platform as well. Um, and just there's, there's so many opportunities to like combine your passion with chess, whether it be coding or design or web development. And uh, yeah, and then these days there's, um, there's way more opportunities just to get involved in uh, in in chess and and even just have it as a, a kind of side gig so i yeah. just wanted to get that in definitely um and i know like like i said i know a lot of our listeners are, are interested in this sort of thing and and hearing from someone with as much experience and knowledge as you i will say a, another thank you to you <laughs> you really helped me learn quite a bit when you were helping with the u.s chess stream as well you know just um Getting that, getting that going, and, and comment, commenting the games for us. So, oh, I sure, appreciate yeah, that. that was a, yeah. a fun pleasure. I guess that was already like over two years ago. Doing, I know it's it's crazy. For the Scholastics and U.S. Open. Yeah, I think the, yeah. the last time we communicated before you reaching out for this podcast was uh, I was going to do commentary. It was April 2020 for the National Scholastics. Yes, for a live event. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that kind of fell through, but uh, hopefully, hopefully things will return soon. Yeah, actually, we do have our first over-the-board national starting back up again this December. Um, oh, very nice. And I'm, you know, hopefully things will continue to trend in a positive direction with COVID and with everything that's going on. I'm anticipating we're going to have all three of the spring nationals, so maybe we can get you back. I'd, I'd love to have you uh, back if, if you're ever interested. Uh, the door is open. Okay, yeah, just feel free to reach out. Um, of course, depends on travel schedule, but even make, making a guest appearance remotely should be at the very least doable. So, Awesome. Well, Eric, I, again, this was awesome. Thanks for popping on with me. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, I, I look forward to the next time we have a chance to sit down and chat. Yeah, thanks so much, Pete. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis.